Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us to continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church family. I want to dive straight into this. First Peter chapter two, verse five says this, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to read that again, because we're going to spend some time focusing on what this really means to you and I today. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Today, I want to speak to you from the subject of acceptable sacrifices. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, uh, I know that me standing on this stage just talking is just talking. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would come into this room and speak to us. Now we thank you for your presence. And we pray that God, the word that you want to speak to each of us individually would not be distracted, would not be pulled away from, but that God, it would not return to you void. As we get into your word, we would be changed by you. Help us today, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I know some of you are looking at me right now and you're thinking that it is a very strange sight to see your pastor standing up here with a basketball. And those of you that know me very well would know that it is a strange sight to see me standing with a basketball ever in my life. This this is a weird thing because the truth is, I believe I was 12 years old the last time that I really held a basketball in my hands. There there might've been a half a dozen times since then where like someone has thrown one at me and I've tried to duck, you know, but, uh, but I remember I used to play basketball all the time. I can remember sixth grade. I was 11 years old. I had a group of friends and every day after lunch, we'd go out on break and we would take the time to play basketball together. And it was really fun because I was like four foot eight and and being four foot eight and 85 pounds, like I I, I was measured up against my friends who were all four foot eight and 85 pounds together and we could play the game together. So it was a terrible game, but we could at least play together. And I remember that summer break came around between sixth and seventh grade. And, and it's a real awkward stage of life. It was, it, we all remember, we don't even want to talk about it, but I remember I grew that summer and I went, I went from four foot eight to four foot 10 and now I was 90 pounds. And I'm thinking, these guys, they better watch themselves because when I come out to the court, I'm going to show them how to play the game. And I remember getting off the school bus and wondering who were all of these people that I've never seen before. Because I looked around and I saw all these giants and I thought there must be a bunch of new eighth graders here. And I looked and it was my same group of friends and they had the same basketball that we played with the year before. And they were standing there and they said, Dan, come on, let's play. And I looked at them and they weren't four foot eight and 95 pounds. Now my friends were six foot tall. And what I did is I, I looked at them and and I looked at myself and, 
and I saw the court and I saw the girls that were standing around the court and I, I measured up the inadequacies and I, I looked at them and I, I decided and I judged that I don't, I don't measure up, I'm inadequate for this. So what I decided to do is instead of being embarrassed because what I could have done is I could have gone out there and just got schooled all over the place. So what I did is I said, nah, nah, I'm good. I don't play basketball anymore. And like, yeah, what? What are you talking about? Talking about you play basketball? I'm like, no, I'm more like I'm into hacky sack now. Like, you know, I found I found different things. I found I found cooler things. And what I did is I, I judged myself and I looked at inadequacies of myself by measuring up against other people. And at the age of 12 years old, I put the basketball down. 37 years later, 37 years old now. I still haven't picked one back up again. And see what I feel like happened in that moment is I was really dealing with the insecurities of thinking, you know, if they see my inadequacies, if they see, if I go out there and I try and I fail, if I, if I go out there and I don't measure up, then what's gonna happen is they're not gonna like me anymore. And I won't be accepted anymore. I won't be loved anymore. I'll be one of the outcasts. So, so I, I was so insecure that I decided that I'm just going to disqualify myself. I'm going to go ahead and pull myself out. And I believe what happens in, in our human condition is for so many of us that deal with feelings of inadequacy and feelings of insecurity is we start to project those feelings onto God. And we think, you know, if God really truly knows that I don't measure up, if he really saw what I did last night, if he really knows what's going on in my heart or what I'm thinking or how I'm doubting right now, if he really knew that, then, then, then he wouldn't really love me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't really care. And yeah, we've been in church, so we, we know what the Bible says and we, we know that God knows everything about us and we're taught that he loves us, but there's a lie that comes from the enemy that, that if he really knew what you did, if he really knows what's going on with you and how broken you are, then, then grace won't cover that. So we put walls up. And, and we put masks on to try to act like we got it together and try to act like we got it perfect. And I can tell you, for me, I come into worship services sometimes and this is where I can feel it, where I, I know how I've struggled throughout the week and I'll come in and, and, and before we even start to sing, because of my own inadequacies, because of my own feelings of unworthiness, I start disqualifying myself from being able to worship God before we even start the songs. And I, I believe that there's a lot of us in this room that we, we struggle with that. We start, we start to think if, if, if what's really going on in my life is going on in my life, then, then am, am I really qualified to even be here? Am I really qualified to, to sing? I mean, not just in front of God, but it's like I'm sitting next to my family members who know what I did this last week. And when I sing, they know, like, like do, do I really... Do I really measure up and, and we can feel like we disqualify ourselves? But there's something very interesting that God begins to show us in scripture from, from the very beginning. He starts to show us that, that we do have inadequacies and he starts to talk to us about the fact that because um, we were created to worship him, there's ways that he wants us to come and worship him. And he tells us that he wants us to come and build an altar and worship him at an altar. And what an altar is, if you don't know, is back in the Old Testament, 
before Jesus died on the cross for us, they, uh, they would take stones and they would stack them. It would be like a, a, a beautiful place that was, that was um, uh, stacked together and there's a flat top on part, uh, flat uh, part on the top and on that part, they would come and they would present animal sacrifices before God. And God was explaining to Moses, he said, this is how I want you to build the altar. And he says this in Exodus 20, 25. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. Okay, so it's gotta be unhewn stone. That means a stone that hasn't been touched. That means a stone that hasn't been, it's not a brick. This is not perfect edges. He says, you shall not build it of hewn stone for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. So an unhewn stone is a jagged stone. These stones, when you fit them together, they wouldn't fit together perfectly. There'd be gaps in between. It wouldn't sit right. It wouldn't be completely flat on the top. It wouldn't work exactly the way you'd want it to. You would rather use bricks. You'd rather work on it. But what is God saying here when he's talking to Moses? Is he saying, I want you to worship me, but what I don't want you to do is try to gain perfection before you come and worship me. What I don't want you to do is try to smooth out your rough edges before you come and worship me. I want you to take your jagged self, your jacked up self, and I want you to come and present that as the place where we come and worship. Do you recognize that, that what God wants from you is not for you to come in and get perfect so you can worship him. He wants you to bring your imperfection to him and your, your brokenness to him to worship him. He says, I want you to use unhewn stone. It, it profanes the altar of God to try to fix yourself before you bring it to him. He's saying, you're not the one that's gonna fix the problem. He said, I'm the one that's gonna fix the problem. So what do we do is we recognize that we're, being, we're the ones that are being built as the altar. That, that's what we just read in 1 Peter. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, the same theme is here. I'm going to read it again. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what is this saying? It's saying we're, we're being built in the altar, into the altar. You and I are the ones, we're, we're the place where we're supposed to be worshiping God from. It, it, it's us. And, and I wonder if we're the altar, if I'm the altar, if you're the altar, I've got to pose the question. If I'm the altar, the place where that's supposed to be worshiping God, then why sometimes do I not feel like worshiping God? Why sometimes do I come in and feel inadequate and feel insecure and feel like I don't have it all together because I, I, I want to do like Peter says, where he, he says we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. I wanna bring God acceptable sacrifices. But a lot of times I don't feel like my, my worship, my offerings to God are acceptable. And I don't have to ask for you to raise hands because I, I believe that this is part of the human condition. I think every one of us in this room from time to time, we feel like what we offer to God is probably not acceptable. What my, what my actions, they, they haven't been acceptable. And, 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 and I'm wondering, it's like, it, it, as I was preparing this this week, I was thinking, is this something that like maybe, uh, I, 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 it's not a sermon, maybe it's just like a counseling session I need to go have with someone. But, but no, I, I believe that we all, deal from time to time with these feelings of wondering, is what I'm bringing to God what he really wants? 
am I, am I not feeling his presence right now because I'm like, I'm, I'm not bringing him what he really wants? Is there a certain way I'm supposed to do things? And we put on these masks and we think, since I feel inadequate, since I feel like I don't have it all together, then I'll put my mask on and I'll come into the door and, it's, and, and I'll put on my smiling face. And we joke about it here because so many of us, we struggle with it where, where we, we turn 180 degrees from, from our car to the, to the walking into the doors of the sanctuary where we're talking about who knows what and we've got business things going on and we are in a fight with our spouse and we are screaming at our kids and we're cussing about politics and then we come in here and we're like, praise Jesus, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He's like, well, how are you doing? I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. I'm like, why are you talking like that? This is weird talk, okay? Because, because what's real is that every one of us, we're struggling, we're jacked up, we got issues. And am I saying, are you supposed to be coming in here cussing and stuff like that? Well, no, but what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to bring where we really are into the presence of God. We're supposed to be unhewn stones. We're, we're supposed to not put on the mask at the door and try to chisel away the rough edges, but to bring ourselves where I'm going, God, I'm doubting today. I'm hurting today. I'm angry today. I'm frustrated today. And, and, and we bring that broken self to God and say, I know it doesn't look like I measure up or feel like I fit in right, but I'm bringing myself to you. And man, and we look at this and we go, well, if I want to bring, if I want to bring offerings acceptable to God, sacrifices and worship that's acceptable to God, I think we can look into the Old Testament and see what that looked like. Because as, as we see here that Moses was told to build an altar, we see the Israelites were told to, to give sacrifices. And, and then we see that in scripture, we're actually told the Levites were like the priesthood group. See the scripture in first Peter told us we are a holy priesthood. The Levites, the priesthood group, they, were the ones that were to tend to the temple. They were to tend to the tabernacle. They were the ones to do the service. And they were told, this is how we are supposed to worship God. And this will be a way that honors him and is acceptable to him. So I wanna take a look at this. I believe we can look at it, even though it's, it's Old Testament, it's before Jesus died on the cross, this can help you and I today in how we come and we worship God. I wanna read this here. Uh, this is David, he got a word from God and he's speaking to the Levites in 1 Chronicles 23. And these are the instructions he gives on honoring God with our worship. The duty of the Levite, was to help Aaron's descendants in the service of the temple of the Lord, to be in charge of the courtyards and the side rooms, the purification of all the sacred things and the performance of the other duties at the house of God. They were in charge of the bread set out on the, at the table and the special flour for the grain offering and the thin loaves made without yeast, the baking and the mixing and all the measurements and the quantities and the size. They were all to stand every morning to thank God and praise the Lord. And they were to do the same in the evening. And whenever burnt offerings were presented to the Lord on the Sabbath at the new moon feast and at the appointed festivals, they were to serve before the Lord regularly in the proper number and in the way prescribed for them. So in this passage, I believe that you and I will see that there are three ways that the Levi were honoring God with their worship. 
And I am gonna take a side note and say what, what they're talking about here was sacrifice was animal sacrifice, but, but God no longer requires animal sacrifice because he sent the perfect sacrifice. And that is in fact, who Jesus Christ is to be the innocent blood that died once for all of our sins so that you and I could be accepted. We're no longer talking about animal sacrifice anymore, but there's a lot here that as followers of Christ, we can learn in this passage how to bring acceptable worship before our God. So I wanna give you three points today. I wanna encourage you to write these down, put them in your phone, put them on Instagram, do whatever you gotta do so that you don't forget this because this is how God wants us to worship him. This is how our, our worship will honor him. And I wanna look at the first one is this. They honored the Lord with number one, their priorities. They honored the Lord with their priorities. See, the most striking thing to me as I read this passage is the time commitment involved in this passage. It says in verse 30, they were also to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. And they were to do the same in the evening. Think about that, that is a huge time commitment. That, that is doing church, not once a day, twice a day, every day. And I know for a lot of us, I mean, we, it's a struggle just to get to church twice a month. And there's no judgment in that statement. If you're, if you're struggling to get here, we're glad you're here and we'd love it if you come more. And, and, and we, we believe we should be in the house of God together more, but the com time commitment involved here is they're saying every morning and every night we doing church and every day we're doing church together. And, and they, they did this because it was a priority. It was a huge commitment here. And it was a commitment of time, but it was also a commitment to a process because verse 31 says, they were to serve before the Lord regularly in the proper number and in the way prescribed to them. So this, this passage tells us that there was an order to the way that they worship God. So, so that, that, that means there's a priority here. That, that's what priority is. Priority is ordering your life consistently around your values. Okay. But, Priority is ordering your life consistently around your values. If you look at what your life is doing, if you look at how you spend all of your time and all of your money, you know what you value because you will order your life around it. And we see that the, the Levites were told in worshiping God, he should be how we order our time. He should be how we order our, our values, our commitments. He should be first, there should be a priority there. So it didn't matter if they woke up in the morning and didn't want to sing, they were there. And it didn't matter if they were in a bad mood at the end of the day, they were there. Didn't matter if they just weren't feeling it, they were in their position ready to worship. But I wonder if sometimes the, the Levitical priests feel the same way that you and I do today. Sometimes when we're just not feeling it. Sometimes like, I, I don't know, maybe I'd just rather sleep in today. I'm just, just not feeling like getting into my Bible today. Just, just not feeling it today. I wonder if maybe they felt like sometimes their worship was a little more forced instead of a little more natural, a little more legalistic. I don't know if many of you grew up like me, but uh, I grew up experiencing a little bit of legalism. Uh, I grew up in a church background. My father is a pastor. If you guys know that, and uh, my grandfather was a pastor, and I have been part of church my entire life. I mean, like, 
the way we did church in, in Texas when my father was the pastor, we had two church services on a Sunday morning and then we had a Sunday school services where the kids' church services would be between classes and there'd be adult Bible studies between classes. And then we break for lunch and we come back for our evening Sunday services. And then we would have midweek Bible teachings throughout the week. So on a regular basis, I would be at a minimum of four services per week from being one week old. My entire life I've lived in the church. I grew up in the church. I've been, I've been in so many church services on, on a regular basis. Um, we, we are in multiple church services per week. Now, after that, I started serving in the church and I started working. In fact, I even got a job uh, vacuuming and, and mowing and working on our maintenance crew. So I spent every day at church for uh, services a week. And then on top of that, my parents for a short period of time put me in a private school that was a Christian school and in that Christian school. We did church services in our Christian school. We had chapel. So I'm doing church like twice a day now. And, and in my classes, I'm, I'm taking like New Testament classes and Old Testament classes. And, and now it's like, I'm doing church twice a day and I'm working out of church and I'm taking classes where I'm learning about the Bible. And I started feeling like what my life, it was so regimented on all the different things that felt like rules to me that it began feeling legalistic. Like these are the things you have to do because you're a Christian. And I began rebelling and as a teenager, I began rebelling against legalism and I started running from legalism. But what I did not recognize is in running from legalism, what I actually started doing is I started running from discipline because I was trying to run from the regimented rules that, that I felt like were not part of my relationship with God. So I started going, you know what? I just don't feel like I'm gonna read my Bible today because, because I mean, if I'm not feeling it, after all, he probably doesn't want me to anyways, right? And if I'm not feeling worshiping today, probably not going to anyways. If I don't feel like going to church today, I'm not going to anyways. And I started running from discipline. And, and the thing is, I, I, in running from legalism, I ran from discipline and they are different. They, they might look the same. They might, they might sometimes feel the same, but they have completely different motives and completely different outcomes in our lives. Legalism is doing something out of fear of man or out of trying to prove something to someone else or, or, or out of trying to avoid punishment. But discipline, discipline is pursuing God, being passionate for God and prioritizing God to be number one in your life. And am I saying that, that man, we gotta, what you gotta do is start going to church like four times a week and go, go get in a Christian Bible school and do all that stuff. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what the Levites had understood about their duties in the church is that they were to prioritize. They were to commit their time to say, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be in the house of God, whether or not I feel like it because God is good and he deserves it. So if I'm feeling like it on this Sunday, I'm gonna be there. And if I don't feel like it on Sunday, I'm gonna be there. And now I look back in life and I thank God for the fact that my parents instilled in me a consistency. Someone say consistency. A consistency. Again, say it, say consistency. A consistency to be in the house of God. To, to where now it's like, because uh, I can recognize a value here that I hope you won't miss. And that is when God speaks to us, sometimes he's speaking to us now for something that we're gonna need down the road. And, and, 
and you need to hear this, maybe God has a word for you four weeks from now that is going to help give you the direction you need to get you through a trial that you are gonna face a year from now. And when we don't prioritize our lives, we're not in position, we're not in place to, to be ready to receive the word of God. And sometimes it's, it's the difficult times when we don't feel like it, when, when we hear from God the most, that we need to get to a place where we say, you know what, I'm gonna be there no matter whether I feel like it or not. See, God wants to give you wisdom and strength, but you've got to be in position to receive it. So do not not forfeit the strength, church. Do not forfeit the strength that God wants to give you because of misaligned priorities. Man, one of the saddest things I hear week after week after week is when someone will come to me and say, man, I wish my cousin was here. They missed this week and they needed this. They've been praying about this. They've been talking about this and they missed it. And I wonder, is 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 God giving us wisdom, but we've misaligned our priorities to the point to where we're not even in the right position when he wants to pour it out to us? So the Levites, they recognized here, because man, you, you read this, it looks like, looks like a bunch of rules, looks like a bunch of chores, but the first thing they saw is there's a commitment of time. I will prioritize my life around God and that is how I'm gonna honor him and worship. The second thing we see here is perspective. The Levites honored the Lord with their perspective, worship that's acceptable to God, sacrifice that's acceptable comes with the right perspective. You realize that you and I can see the same thing and look at it differently and see completely different things. I remember seeing these in school. Throw this picture up on the side screen. I'm sure you've seen these before, but these are so strange to me. I remember when I first saw this in school, I said, oh look, uh, a young lady. And the person next to me, that's not a young lady, that's an old woman. What are you talking about? I'm like, man, you need to get your eyes fixed. And the teacher was playing a trick on us and they've shown us this before. Let's go to the next picture. Because you can take the same picture and, and, and you see the young lady there. Let's go to the next one. And you see the old woman all in the same picture. It's just a matter of perspective. How are you looking at it? Let's, let's look at another picture here. What do you see? What do you see? Tell the person next to you what you see. Some people see a vase and some people see two faces. Here's the next one. What do you see there? <laughs> some of you see a young lady and some of you see a grumpy old man. What about the next one? This one confuses a lot of people. Is it a duck or is it a rabbit? You and I could see the same thing and with our different perspectives, we could view it completely differently and how you see things matters. How you see things in life matters. And, and we see in this passage, it matters how we view the things that God tells us to do. Because when I read First Chronicles, I see a list of rules. I see a list of chores. Man, this is the honeydew list. Like, like I, I go home and now I've got to do this and this and this and this. I now got to measure that and clean the side room. And I got to do, these are all the chores I have to do. But the Levites, they did not see a list of chores. They saw worship. They saw a way to honor God. They, they, the way that they saw things was completely different 
See, it matters how we see things. And, 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 when, and when we look at this, I believe that we have to start realigning the way that we look at what God tells us to do, to see things the way that he sees them. Because I believe in the temple, the sound of worship that rose from the temple was not just the sound of singing and the sound of instruments, but it was the sound of people sweeping up side rooms and pots and pans clanging together and people measuring out flour. It was the, it was the sound of worship of people coming together and serving because what, what I'm learning more and more in life is some of the things that I look at as the least worshipful to us are actually the most worshipful to God. And some of the things that you and I look at where we're going, ah, that probably just doesn't matter that much. I mean, I don't know if it's that important. The Levites here, they had a different perspective and they're going, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this to honor and worship God. He deserves it and I love him. So, so they had a different perspective on it and they did all of this out of worship. And I believe that you might feel sometimes like what you do for God might go unnoticed. There are the people in this room that you show up week after week and you come together and pray over those people that are sick in our church and pray, uh, and, and pray over our prayer book. There are those of you that come in and you help clean and those of you that come in and uh, organize things for kids' classrooms and you feel like you go unnoticed, but let me tell you something, your God notices. Your God notices. And we've got to recognize that it's all a matter of the way we see things. It's all a matter of the way we look at it because the truth is when we look around the room, there, there are sounds of worship coming from people in this room who you can't sing <laughs> and you know you can't sing. But, but the sound of worship might be you holding a kid in the next service. The sound of worship might be you having a radio in your ear because you're on our security team. The sound of worship that's coming from you is that you're here faithfully every week greeting people as they come in. The, the sound of worship is the ringing in your ears from how loud the kids were screaming when you were serving in the kids' church services. Thank you, green team. And, and we, we've got to recognize that, that true worship is not just from our voices, true worship comes from the actions of our hearts. So we have to change our perspective and we have to start to look at what am I doing right now? Am I doing it for God? Is this a chore to me or is this to honor God? Because the Bible says, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. So to honor God, to give worship that's acceptable to God and pleasing to God, number one, we have got to make sure and our priorities are right and he is first. Number two, we've got to make sure that our perspective is right and lined up with him. And then number three, we see that the Levites were, were, were talked to about their posture. It matters your posture. The Levites honor God with their posture. See, I've noticed that I've got bad posture. I'm trying to fix it, but I spend so much time looking at my phone, my neck hurts, right? I go through the day with my, with my head down and bad posture can hurt your neck, but, but, but bad posture can also hurt your worship because it's important to God what the posture is when you worship him. Notice this, it said in verse 20, or no, let me back up 30, it says, they were, they were also to stand 
every morning to thank and praise the Lord. So they're told first to stand. What's the significance of standing? Could it be that they're to, we're told we can go boldly into the throne room of God? We can go boldly before God so I can stand here boldly? Uh, maybe it's uh, that the Levites were standing in attention because they were ready to serve. They were told to stand for whatever reason. Uh, a couple chapters later in chapter 29, they're told to bow down. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord their God. So they all praised the Lord their God of their fathers and bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. So sometimes they were told to stand. Sometimes they were told to bow. And it's like a struggle. Am I supposed to stand now? Am I supposed to bow down? Well, what am I supposed to do? Some of us, we come into church service, we don't know what to do. It's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. So like, do I, do I stick them in my pockets? Do I cross my arms? Do I put my hands up? It was like, I'm going to try to stretch out a little bit and, and be a little bit uh, more enthusiastic with my worship and expressive with my worship. So we, we try things like, uh, I'm going to try lifting my hands today, but I don't know what to do. Should I do the, like, the point, like the your number one thing or the hold the baby move? Like, uh, so we try, we try the worship Frisbee thing and we just got like the... We're trying whatever we can, right? Because we're thinking, I'm trying to get the right posture. Well, is there an acceptable posture when it comes to worship? The Bible says yes. God says yes. Is it standing? Is it sitting? Well, well, let's look at this. David says this in Psalms 51. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. See, the posture that God is concerned about when you come to worship is not something that anyone on your row can see. It's only something that God can see and only something that you can recognize. It's a heart that's bowed down in surrender. It's a posture of a heart that's a broken heart. It's a, a broken heart realizes that my only hope is God. So I bow. See, a contrite heart realizes I have no strength left, but with God, I I have strength. And it could be the opposite end of the spectrum. It could be a joyful heart because then I recognize every good and perfect gift comes from him. So I'm 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 gonna stand in a posture of thanking my God. The posture that he cares about is the posture of your heart. And see, I believe that for many of us, we hear a lie from the enemy that God despises our brokenness that he despises our imperfection. But the truth is we learn from this passage that God wants us to bring our brokenness. Our brokenness doesn't disqualify us. It's, it's exactly what God uses to bless us. That we are to be those unhewn stones that we're to take our jagged, jacked up selves and come before God and say, just like I am, I'm gonna come before you. You might feel messed up. You might feel broken. And that's the type of thing that God can do is he can do miracles with a broken heart. What he won't do is miracles with a proud heart. Miracles with a heart that says, no, I got it all together. I'm good, I don't need you. I'm fine. I'll just, I'll work on hewing this stone myself. I'll, I'll get the rough edges fixed out. I'll get this addiction under control. I'll get that attitude under control. Then I'll be good. And when we have that type of, a, 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 I got it together attitude, that's not what God works with. He works with the broken heart. So God tells us to worship him, not out of perfection. If so, none of us in this room would, be, would qualify. None of us would be able to be here. See, God did demand perfection but you and I couldn't fulfill it. 
So that's where Jesus said, Father, let me go. Let me go and be the ultimate sacrifice. Let me go and take my innocent blood and, and lay down for them and, and take their sin and their shame and pay the price for them so I could cover them once and for all with righteousness that, that they could then come to the altar and they're coming to the altar not with their righteousness but with my righteousness and then we bring our brokenness to him and when bringing our brokenness to him he takes our brokenness and he presents it as pleasing and acceptable as a sacrifice to our heavenly father. So you go to an altar to be changed. You go to an altar to worship the God who could change you. You go to the altar to be altered. And I wonder, church family, has the posture of our heart been a posture that's saying, God, I bow before you and I need to be changed by you. So church family, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet and what we're gonna do is I wanna give you the opportunity right in this moment before we leave to recognize that it matters how we prioritize our life. It matters how we see the things that God asks us to do. And it matters the posture of our heart when we come to worship him. So uh, what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna worship and sing and we're making a commitment to the, today to say, I'm gonna prioritize and I'm gonna be in this house as often as I could possibly be in this house to hear what God wants to give me. And I'm gonna do what he wants me to do. And I'm gonna have the right perspective about it because he loves me and he's not challenging me to hurt me. He's challenging me to change me. And then God, I need your love. I need your presence. So it's not about if I can look good to the person next to me, you know what's going on in my heart. So church family, we're going to sing this song and I want to encourage you with your heart right now, come to the altar of Jesus Christ. Come to the altar and be changed. Come to the altar and be altered. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.